Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Canton III, and we are here to discuss a special presentation from the MCU, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, directed by James Gunn. A fun time was had in this thing, and we'll get right into it. But first, the panel, the super producer, Jake Christie's in the house. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well, decking the halls with bowels of holly, etc., 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 etc. Well, there you go. Uh, a little festive, festive uh, attitude in here, and I love it. We have a guest. His name is Hunter Radici, friend of the show, Murphy's Multiverse. Hunter, how are you, sir? I feel like Jake just said it best, but I am I'm feeling jolly. I'm ready to get into this thing. Yes, and we should. And I think this is another example of the special presentation hitting all of the right notes that it needed to. Didn't really have a ton of high stakes to it. And honestly, for me personally, I missed the Guardians of the Galaxy and it was nice to see them. And that's really yeah. like when it comes down to it, you don't really care about like, oh, is this gonna happen here? Is this gonna happen here? No, I miss time spent time spent with these characters because I think even in Thor Love and Thunder, it felt like it's such a blip and it happened so fast, like they were just there and they were gone, and it just didn't feel like, you know, we were there with them a lot. But to kind of get the emotional beats and the vibes back. That's really where I feel like it hit home for me, and I think it's why this feels like it did really well. Uh, Hunter, I'll start with you. Just give me your general thoughts on on what what uh, what came to mind for you with this special. I loved it. I mean, I, I think I was in the same boat as you and a lot of people where I just I just missed the Guardians. Like that stretch where, you know, one and two came out fairly close together, and they were two of, like, my favorite comic book movies when – they were released and, uh, you know, I talked about them all the time and then everything happened with James Gunn. So there was that big break that we kind of weren't expecting with those characters. And like as much fun as it has been to see them in other projects. And I, I think they were handled pretty well in Infinity War and Endgame. And um, I even didn't really mind them so much in, in Love and Thunder. But I don't know. It was just nice to have them back. And it was nice to have them back and kind of guided by, you know, that original hand. And it was, I loved how cheesy it was, it, you know, in its own way. Like, I love that it really, in the same way that Werewolf by Night embraced its inspirations, I'm glad that the holiday special really embraced what it was going for. Um, and the Guardians are so well suited for those, like, cheesy but heartfelt moments. So you couldn't have done it with, like, a better group in the MCU. And I just, I loved it. I, I had such a good time with it. I made my whole family watch it. Um, when it came out, we were all together for Thanksgiving still. And I, I forced everyone to watch it and only, only my uncle fell asleep. And I think that's a huge win. Hey, that, yeah, that ain't too bad at all. Jake, how, <laughs> Jake, how about, how about you, sir? I, I think the thing that we were missing was the guardians interacting with each other on their own terms, because even when we got a lot of them in the infinity war and game saga and love and thunder, when we, they were in service of either other characters or other situations when like so much of their magic is just how they, their dynamics together. And I really like that. We even got to see some like somewhat new dynamics because if you really think about it, one of the things about the MC, which is so interesting is that it's so character driven, but, we only spent a pretty finite amount of time with these characters, um, especially some of like the side guardians. Like how much time have we really spent with Mantis, for example, you know, like right. she might've had more screen time in this than she had in everything beforehand. Yeah. Um, and so I think that 
it kind of functioned in the way that like a TV episode does, where not every TV episode can or should have been a lot of plot, but you just want to spend time with characters. And so um, I thought this was a really fun idea. And like, this is the type of stuff that I'm excited at, at the prospect of Disney Plus existing to, to have. Because he's like, yeah, of course, the, this would be dumb if they try to put it in movie theaters. But as like a quick thing to build a bridge to Guardians 3 uh just to throw out on um you know the day after thanksgiving like it was just a super enjoyable thing it was low stakes i wasn't worried about coming up with theories i was just having a good time yes yes and i think good time is really the theme here um it's funny because i when you mentioned bridge to guardians 3 this does feel like the calm and the happiness before the storm that james gunn has described volume 3 is incredibly emotional some characters might not make it after this, and it's also his send-off. So with that being said, it is nice to get little background elements of the story between these characters. Obviously, this centers around Mantis and Drax trying to kidnap Kevin Bacon to give Peter Quill a good Christmas. I have to say, I thought the animation portion of this at the start and to close were really, really fun, and I thought really well drawn out. Uh, that that portion of it was fun with with Yondu not being a fan of Christmas, Terran holiday. What kind of crap is this? Uh, I, I thought I thought it was really cool. So kind of just to spend a little bit of time on the animation because it, the story itself kind of functions off of that. Hunter, what did you think of? Well, we we get Yondu for a little bit in this portion, but it is nice to see what centers Peter and his being with his relationship with Yandu previously in something that we haven't seen. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I love that it was animation. I really wasn't expecting that. Like I knew that they were going to do some of the Christmas special tropes. And that was something that the star Wars holiday special did. But when, when the animation popped up, I was like, Oh my goodness. I think I said that out loud. Um, and I also love that it was Ralph Bakshi inspired animation, which is like such a pull from James Gunn that I love. I love that old uh, animated Lord of the Rings movie. So that was just like cool to see in the MCU. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, James Gunn has never made a project without Michael Rooker. And I, f- I don't know if he's going to be in volume three, but I I had a feeling they were going to find a way to get him in here somewhere. And mm. that that Quill Yondu relationship is just so integral to the Guardian stories. And it's so much of like what these stories are. So it did feel right to have that featured in some way as like the backbone of, of this story um, as the opener and the closer. And I mean, as per usual, that the Quill Yondu stuff is, is what made me start to tear up. I mean, there, there was that really nice moment with uh, Peter and Mantis too, but I, I don't know that like, the father-son stuff that the MCU does always gets me. <laughs> it really it really always gets me. And I think the thing that was really special about this was that when we're first introduced to the Yondu-Peter uh, dynamic in Guardians 1, there's the hints of like the father-son stuff, but they don't really... Neither of them are in a place where they can really recognize it. And obviously at the time that this thing were, the, the scene we're seeing take place happened, they were not nearly in a place where they could recognize it. But us as the audience having the knowledge that that's what the dynamic it is, even though in that moment, neither of them are thinking of the relationship as such. When you watch it, it clearly is a father-son dynamic. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. and, I, and I think that it's, it's nice to see that because we've heard so much about how, you know, Yondu lying about how he only wanted him because he was small and good for thieving, you know, that, <laughs> that, 
it's not just like a post hoc thing that they decided that it was a father son. It's like, no, of course it always was like that. And that I liked that, that he was, you know, Yandu was sweet to him at the end. And, and I think that, um, doing the animation, I think was really nice too. Cause I think there's also like a way that it takes a lot of the pressure off of, it's not about like what actor they get to cast the young kid or it's not like, Oh my God, Yandu's back. Like, I think that there's a way that it just, it, lowers the stakes of a flashback which in the mcu since everything's so fucking important that people will be like analyzing it's like no this is this is actually like much more important for what it means than actually what happened like and i think that that was really nice because it wasn't like you know there's not going to be a an article that's like yondu's triumphant return to the mcu no he just michael rooker stepped in a voice booth uh and you know obviously he'll take probably take a bullet for james gunn but he was willing to step into a voice booth and just uh do a couple lines and it was great there's an emotional and empathetic element of the guardians being this ragtag misfit bunch that finds its way together they're not perfect in any way and as we've seen their journey kind of progress and evolve throughout the the films and and things like that to kind of have this nice stop off point to get something with mantis and drax to your to your point earlier jake them kind of being the center of the story gets to just play on what's fun about the guardians what i and that's where, like for me, more than so than anything else, I think we have had phase four and we will at, a, at another point talk about phase four overall. But just in relation to this, phase four has been just incredibly emotional, just emotional in a lot of ways that you didn't expect it to be that. You almost feel like kind of drained a little bit. Drained, not in in a bad way, but it is so much emotion. So I think in watching something like this, you come away with it feeling heartened. And you feel reminded of what I remember in seeing the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. And that was just the pure unbridled spirit of these people. And these beings and how they interact with each other and everything like that. So I want to jump into Mantis and Drax, which again, I, I tweeted after I saw it. Hashtag True Detective Season 4. Get these <laughs> two together. Uh, just tremendous banter. It's fun to see Mantis, not only her use of her powers in this, but just her wanting to give peter a good christmas we we have no gamora here gamora's on the run after after her variant shows up at the at the end of endgame and peter's a little sad and you have the context of the christmas story at the start of the at the start of the special so jake i'll I'll start with you like the mantis drax interplay was so much fun in so many ways. If you can give me some of your favorite parts of it and just how you felt about it overall. I mean, the best part of it, in my opinion, was the argument over whether the candy cane was a man. I think it's just like... (laughs) And and the thing that was great about it is that, like, I think we know that Dave Bautista can do comedy really well, and I'm not saying that he's great at it. Um, And I'm really... We really saw Palm Clementchev do some really incredible stuff. I just didn't know she had this comedic acting in her. Um... Like, and she really killed it in ways that I wasn't expecting. Because I think that Mantis is kind of like, there are fun moments in um, 
Guardians 2 with Mantis. And I, I, but I think that there is, at least for me, a somewhat of a question of like, okay, a character who's kind of the whole joke about her is she's that kind of naive and, you know, strange. Mm-hmm. How much, how sustainable is that for uh, actual plot, you know? Um, and I think that she really was fun to root for. And they kind of like found a good calibration of how she's grown in the past. Like she's not as naive and kind of, strange as she was previously because of course she's been traveling with the guardians and so like it just was like a great they they just have great like friend chemistry like it it really felt like a movie about dumb criminals you know where it's like come on (laughs) go over here you know uh like that type of thing and that's an energy i wasn't really expecting necessarily and i thought it was just great oh man hunter hunter how about you the drax mantis interplay the relationship throughout and chasing kevin bacon (laughs) yeah i mean James Gunn has been saying for a long time that he really wanted to make like a Mantis Drax duo project. And this seems to be like where he was able to make that happen. Um, And after watching this, I I feel like I really get why. I mean, like when Drax and Mantis were first kind of introduced as an unlikely pair in volume two, I feel like a lot of the reason why it worked was, you know, they almost had like a good cop, bad cop. Like they have those similar broken traumatic past. So they understand each other, but their personalities are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and sort of like what Jake was saying with this, you see that they still have that, which is why they are still so fun. Kind of like going through and buddy copping it through this like wacky scenario, but it is really fun to see, you know, Mantis almost slip a little bit more towards the chaos of the guardians and pull Drax back towards like the softer side and like i loved that scene specifically when they're well they're chasing kevin bacon and then when they're fighting the cops that was hilarious like oh my she he's like fully willing to just murder all of them and she's running around trying to make sure that he doesn't and like that that was the epitome of of their relationship in this for me uh which i i really really loved i also think that mantis is like high key terrifying in this like there there are some moments in this special especially when she's chasing kevin bacon of course um that she like i really threw me off just how scary she was um and uh, we didn't really see much of that in volume two so it was really cool to see like oh this is how mantis is fitting in as a guardian of the galaxy and you see that maybe she's a little bit more formidable than you thought she was uh previously but really scary really scary stuff in there no, she actually has a really extensive power set when you think about it and how dynamic it can be if used, but then in this in this case it's kind of used for kicks and jokes, yeah. which is <laughs> in this case it works perfectly. It's it's so much fun. I loved Mantis seeing cosplay Steve Rogers mm-hmm. and just jumping on him. Them taking selfies, them going to the bar, just like all the stuff in something like this, you would want to see. It was so much, it was just so much fun. Even before they land, she she has the whole Drax, did you put the cloak on? And he's like, Yes, and the cloak <laughs> is not on. Just simple little things like that. Totally nailed. I, I, love, I love how like the su- amount of the level of surprise that the people of Earth have towards like aliens and insane wacky cosmic stuff varies depending on the joke they're trying to make. But it, it will never not baffle me that there are people on Earth who are, like, surprised by aliens at this point in a post-Snap world and, like, a post-Thanos world. Especially Kevin Bacon being absolutely shocked by it. I was like, come on, Kevin. Let's let's be real with ourselves here, Kevin. You are aware of this. There's no reason for you to be this surprised. And it also made me wonder if Mantis and Steve were close. I don't remember them 
like having a friendship, but I, I now like to imagine that off screen they were absolute best friends. I don't think Mantis needs a lot in order to think that you're best friends. <laughs> and I think that that's why she's great. That she's yeah. so, you know, hard on sleeve in a perfect way. And I, I think that that's what makes the incongruity of her power set being actually terrifying so fun. That, like, she would actually, she'd be so terrifying as a villain if she wasn't so sweet. <laughs> like, yeah. it's kind of her whole thing. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I really, I liked a lot where, you know, Drax gets in the fight with the robot. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> great, oh, yeah, just great. Great Robots location work. Now. <laughs> yeah, great location work in LA. You gotta like that a lot. Um, and yeah, I, I I agree that obviously it's really unclear how familiar people are with aliens, but I do think that it's I, I don't mind if it's a little fungible for the joke. No, I'm and, and especially somebody like Kevin Bacon, who's listen, he's a rich celebrity. He probably just he's chilling, he not used to who knows if he's even paying attention to what's <laughs> actually going on in the world. So like we could have the whole snap and stuff like that. And listen, he's a rich man. So I'm, I'm going to assume that the way that he was, he reacted to everything. He was just scared. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting these people to show up at my door. And well, Drax <laughs> literally punching through the door and, and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, I thought Kevin Bacon did a really good job oh, playing great. a scared, playing a yeah. scared mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon. And I think when Mantis uses her powers on him, to make him believe that at first he's a hero, and then as it as it keeps translating onto different things, oh, you, you see the range; it's there. So, so give us some Kevin Bacon thoughts um, as he was the in a lot of ways the center of the plot. Uh, uh, either of you can go. I, one thing I want to immediately say, and this is something that I observed, and then also a friend of the show Michael Springthor texted me independently of me thinking it. I'm so glad that they had the brief moment where it is now canon that Kira Sedgwick is also in the MCU. His wife this is yes. important that she's on the phone yes. because this is a pet peeve of mine, but I'm, I think this is not an unreasonable thing. Isn't it annoying when there's a celebrity playing themselves in a movie and their personal life is completely different than what you know it is? Like, yeah. right. I don't need LeBron's kids to play as kids in Space Jam, but I know what LeBron's kids' names are. I he, he, he just, the, 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 I don't don't lie to me like I or you know I, I so anyway I'm very glad that he is I feel you, I feel you, I'm glad I feel you that. that he is married to Kira Sedgwick I thought we might have gotten a saucy bacon saucy I don't know how his daughter pronounces her name uh citing but we didn't but I I like that he seems so game for it which is what you need in this sort of thing like that it is because because he's being hypnotized it really is kind of the worst an actor's nightmare of just being told like you have to act like this what's your motivation your motivation is you have to act like it and he seems so down <laughs> to do it um yeah because i mean any actor will be like well, well what's, why does my character feel this way and the worst thing you can tell them is because an alien woman you know made him feel that way but yeah he was so funny and then at the end when he got to be sincere you know like he, i can't make it just seems like one of those dudes who loves to you know, in a non-annoying way, pull out an acoustic guitar after having a few drinks and singing the song. And so it felt like it was very, that part was natural for him. Yes. Yes. And Hunter, how about you? what do you think of Kevin Bacon in this? Um, I like that Jake brought up the, the, or you brought up the scene where he was in up there with Drax and Mantis in the, the Bowie, I think is what they're calling the ship now. Um, and he was just kind of like going through those characters and I, you could just tell he was having so much fun with it. And it's, it almost felt like they didn't even have to pitch in the script. Like, they called him on the yeah. phone, and he just said yes before they even started explaining what was going to happen. Um, but yeah, he was great. He was great. I feel like there's not much more I can say that you guys haven't already said, but Absolutely. he was just – he was phenomenal, and he brought such a, a wonderful energy, I think, to to the whole event. 
Uh, and I also completely forgot that he could sing. Like, when he whipped out the guitar and started singing at the end, I was also surprised by that. And then I was fully on board immediately. I loved it. Oh, yeah, that's for performance. Oh, cool. We'll get to we'll get to some of the music stuff a little bit later. But I have to bring up the elephant in the room. The thing that surprised me the most about this special. What is Groot ingesting? What is he eating? <laughs> because this this guy is buff to the max. What's in the sap? I need to know. Groot is on that HGH. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is, whatever he's taken, he did that. Shit. Uh you look at you look at like the flight log and it's just like hey Groot it does rocket. Hey Groot, what is B-A-L-C-O? Balco? <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good Groot. I'll give you that. Thank you. <laughs> What's the difference oh between the cream God. and the clear? <laughs> some desk guys that's some early 2000s baseball baseball steroid humor for you <laughs> so the last time we saw Groot you know it there's a little bit more of the it was still kind of the teenage element but it's almost like he went to the gym and just went power lifting what the hell happened to this guy puberty's a, a crazy beast I mean, goodness gracious! <laughs> that, that 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 threw me off crazy. I was just like, "Yo, what? I just seen him a couple months ago. He was he wasn't looking like that." You really, oh you really God. do sound like like the uncle at Thanksgiving. Like every time, <laughs> I just saw you a couple months ago. You didn't look like yeah. that. Well, we all who know the guy. Put in your food? We've all known a guy who, like, <laughs> oh, in like high school, was not buff over and then over summer you're like this is gonna go away in a second because you're just like barely teetering on the edge of pre-workout and protein shakes and uh yeah he's <laughs> i mean i'm curious to see what like the justification of it is maybe maybe his maybe the previous version of him just wanted to put a lot of his size into being tall but this version is wants to be buff but it's the same amount of surface area i don't know i don't know the anatomy yeah. of a group I know. <laughs> I mean, I know that he's supposed to be like a different. Like he's technically the original Groot's son, so he yes. might just have a different. Like he might just be growing different. And he just happens to be more buff. But the the thing that I can't get over, and, and I keep thinking about, and is keeping me awake at night, is how those fingers made such beautiful paper mache. I keep I keep thinking I keep coming back to this because that was some th those gifts at the end. That was some wonderful paper mache work, and I just picture him doing it by himself in a dark room for hours. But see, he can extend his fingers, so I'm imagining that like I guess that's fair. the version that he's like making him thin at the as I'm imagining. But because he could technically make them as like thin as possible and to be really precise. I choose to believe he didn't do that and that it was hilarious. That, you know what? You're right. I ruined it for you, and I'm sorry that I did it. That's okay. <laughs> so a, a couple of, a couple of interesting things to kind of kind of frame where we are. So the Guardians just took over nowhere. So they're just they're just chilling in nowhere. They got a whole they got a whole camp set up. They got a whole bunch of beings there. Hunter, what did you think of that? That was interesting. Um, I thought it was super cool. I mean, that it's something that ha is a thing in the comics is them using nowhere as like their base. Um, as someone who, when I was younger, I played Lego Marvel Super Heroes two, which is an amazing video game that everyone should play. Um, the the Guardians owning nowhere and Cosmo being a, a inhabitant of nowhere was like a big part of that game. So that's one of the main things I was thinking of, which I'm sure no one else was thinking of when watching that special. 
Um, no, because I was. Yeah, not. I'm sure. I'm sure you weren't. <laughs> I feel like I'm. I'm one of maybe two to three people in the world who thought about that. No, but shout out to yeah. you, embracing your inner nerd. Yeah, shout out to. Um, that. but no, I thought it was really cool. I honestly thought that nowhere being in the first one, and then when it had showed up in in later projects, was sort of just like a a fun shout to the comic book version, which is like a little different. It's not a full scale city in the comics. Um. And to see them take that turn and imply that I, I assume imply that Guardians Three like that is going to be their base, um, right? I thought that was really cool and unexpected, and I was really happy to see that very comic accurate turn happen, and that Cosmo comes with it because who doesn't love a talking dog in a movie or show? Oh, speaking of Cosmo, we got a little bit of we got a little bit of the talking dog, uh, voiced <laughs> by Maria Bakalova. Uh, that is a that's a nice little addition to the proceedings. Uh, I, I want to see what. So, Hunter, if you could give us like a little background on Cosmo the Cosmo the dog, how would you best describe Cosmo? Um, well, I mean, I would best describe Cosmo as a talking dog, but I would I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, I'm like I don't have an intense background on Cosmo's whole background and lore, but the name comes from the fact that. He in the comics, Cosmo is is a, a boy, but it doesn't really matter that much. Um, mm-hmm. He was a cosmonaut, like he was a cosmonaut dog who got sent in to space. Um, and then when he got there, like shenanigans happened. He could talk. It's really not an overly complicated backstory. Like they oh, okay. they, they kind of made it like it's just like a fun little thing. And then they go up, and then uh, he eventually interacts with the guardians. And I believe like telepathy oh yeah the telepathy was in the special or telekinesis sorry right those words are very similar um and yeah like all all of that is there but it's really not like a crazy thing i i feel like I, it's it's a it's pretty as simple as like this is a talking russian dog whose name is a pun on the fact that uh they're russian and they become part of the i know there's usually some beef with rocket there um which was hinted at in like the cameo in the, in the first movie um but yeah, I don't. I feel like it's just a fun thing that I I love that they included. <laughs> it's great. I I I, had, I I enjoyed the the brief little back and forth that Cosmo and Rocket had uh, mm-hmm. during the during the proceedings of this. Mm-hmm. Jake, when it comes to the the music, portion well, can I just quickly say of... something about Cosmo? Please. Oh, please anyone do. who watched the incredible the, the the nine and a half minute TikTok I did of every Oscar nominee in the MCU, one of the ones I previewed that was upcoming was Maria Bakalova. And I just had, I had the thought when I was watching it when there was the scene with Cosmo and Rocket trying to like arguing about building. It's okay. This is an Oscar nominated actor playing a space raccoon arguing with an Oscar nominated actor playing a space dog that can talk to his voice. <laughs> and it's just. <laughs> and some people would say that that's bad for cinema. And my response is that's fucking great. This is the best. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, the music, I mean, it was pretty good. Like, I actually don't have a ton of thoughts about it. Um, this is not really my uh, area of... I mean, I thought the first song was funny, and I thought the last song oh, was, was like, yeah. corny, but in, like, a way that was I didn't mind. And so, like, yes. I I like I like the idea of the, having a music in the songs. So that's just, like, it puts you in a spirit. And I also think that you can accomplish a lot in a musical sequence that you can't. You can accomplish emotional truths in a musical sequence that you can't in a non-musical sequence, which is what if I could go back in time and tell my 15-year-old self who thought that musicals were dumb, uh, that's what I would tell him, that musical sequences are good because they could reveal emotional truths. And in this one, while there is dialogue and stuff, I think that like 
the communal aspect of the musical sequence at the end, I think really underscores a lot of the feelings that Peter feels. And then when we make the reveal for yes. Mantis, it's it just like, it, there's just something magical about music and movies, which is why as lo- for as long as they've been able to record sound, they've been putting musicals into movies. Uh, it's not an accident. Yes. Yes. And, and Hunter, how about you? how do you feel about the music? Uh, just, I felt like overall, just a nice touch. Didn't overdo it. Wasn't too hammy, even though like the end, like Jake said, was a, was a little corny. But I, I don't know. I, it was, I, I, it was I, corny I really in the way that the you corn. imagine Kevin Bacon would be corny, yeah. which is why it was good. Exactly. Yeah, it was definitely corny on purpose at the end. I mean, they knew what they were doing. Um, I thought the old 97s were great. That The song in the beginning was unexpectedly funny. Um, <laughs> like I knew that they were doing an original Christmas song for the special because like people had talked about it ahead of time. Um but I didn't realize it was going to be like from the perspective of aliens, which I, I thought was really, really wonderful. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think it's just some classic guardian jams that like you would expect to be in there throughout. And then the two highlights are like the songs at the beginning and the end. And, and the end is, is goofy as it should be. It's, it's a holiday special and that's definitely a holiday special song. And then the beginning is just like a wonderful, um, you know, I liked I liked Peter bouncing off of them throughout the whole song, being like, "What what is happening?" And I love that at the end. Actually, my favorite bit about that opening song was at the very end when Peter was like, "You just got these instruments." <laughs> and I like forgot throughout that they had said that. At That's the a great joke. It's a great joke. It's a great joke. And they're like, "Yeah, the people were so into it." And I was just like, "Yeah, okay, that was good." It was that was one of my favorite jokes in in the whole special. So I I did like both of the the big numbers. Um, but the rest of it was yeah. just fun. I mean, nothing too crazy. Another Guardians Guardians album that they can promote if they would like. No, absolutely. And we we can't talk about this special without talking about Peter Quill. And as we find out, he is siblings with Mantis, which is a nice, which is a nice uh, little note to find out in this. And I thought they had a very very heartfelt moment at the end of this, which I thought was awesome. Um, I thought the gift exchange between everybody well, was awesome too, but. Yeah, we can talk about that to kind of close this portion out of it. Um, the Peter Mantis now sibling thing seems like a thing. I want to see the carryover and what that's going to look like in, in Guardians 3. But it was nice to get here, for sure. And I think it's nice to give Peter a, th- a, a good thing because he's had a lot of loss. Yeah, yes. And I think that also it gives a good reason for Mantis to still be around. Not that they can't just have her be part of the ragtag team, but I like that it adds an extra layer of motivation. And I think that... It it was just really sweet, and I thought I really thought one thing. I thought Palm really killed it, um, and, and I think that the way that it was delivered, it was a very, a very Guardians, very humorous, but also like I thought that the funny the thing I was thinking when I was watching it is like it really is crazy that despite all of the baggage and backlash, not back, but like people being annoyed, the moment I see Chris Pryor as Peter Quill, I'm like I like this guy. Like I I just <laughs> like him as Peter Quill so much immediately, um, mm-hmm. and I think that he played that scene yeah. so well where he's like. She's so nervous, and he is like, "No, this is you're giving me. This is the best gift you can give me. This is wonderful." And I thought that, like, I don't know, I that that's what made me tear up of the, um, you know, the sibling bit because there's just it is a gift to have that to have siblings in your life that you know love and care about you, even if you're both fathered yes. by uh, an evil evil egomaniac. Well, no, it was wonderful, Hunter. How about you in seeing this? Yeah, I I I have to once again agree. I you know, Chris Pratt gets a lot of crap um, and everyone has their opinion on that. But Peter Quill is just one of the the most 
dynamic layered interesting characters in all of the mcu that there's just there's so much to pull from there and there's so much to dissect and emotionally it's just a gold mine and i I'm, i never get tired of seeing it i i think it's always beautiful and he gets so many beautiful moments um and yeah you know he's someone who could go back to earth but you know unless it's like an end game event refuses to go back to earth uh and he's just lost the the one person he loved more than anyone else um and he didn't have family as i mean he has this ragtag group but for him to have like blood family i think that's a really beautiful thing to go forward and especially with him and his relation to his family being a thread through all of the movies um i'm really excited to see how that pays off in volume three and and how that you know how they play with that in the way they've played with peter's emotions and in the first two but um yeah, I think I think it's just you know excellent, excellent stuff. Yes, a new branch of the fran- the family tree. Shout out to Groot. <laughs> uh, the wonderful, wonderful stuff there. So, guys, we've now had two of these special presentations. I think a lot of people have just generally enjoyed them and just the aesthetic and the way that the stories have been told, and you could kind of jump in and jump out and feel pretty good about it. How do we feel about? this continuing and this becoming something that's a little bit more baked into what the MCU is doing, as opposed to what a lot of people have talked about over the last year and a half to two years since Disney plus has started doing these shows. And there has been some inconsistent moments or people feel like there's been inconsistent moments. Jake, I'll start with you on this. The special presentations going forward. Do you feel like this is the, this can bridge the gap between some of these stories yes. being told differently. I think that not every, there are plenty of things that should be shows and plenty of things that should be movies, but I think that there are a lot of places you can have use these to bridge gaps, just fun things. The thing I would just caution, I'm hopeful is that they like, don't, they don't put too much weight on them because like, I don't want, you know, like not that I should care that much about their bottom line, but like they shouldn't be expensive. These should be cheap things they do to be like a fun mm-hmm. thing for big diehards and like not even big diehards, but like people who are interested in following everything, but are maybe not ne- necessarily essential, but are things that fill in gaps. And so, yeah, I'm pro them, but I think like anything, um, it's a case by case basis where there's, I'm sure there are going to be some things that will be a special presentation. That I think should be a movie and vice versa. Yeah, for sure. And and Hunter, how about you on this? Oh yeah, I th- absolutely think they should continue. I mean, I I think that these special presentations give the MCU a chance to do things that are a little bit more creatively bold than they might feel like they're able to do elsewhere. Um, and I agree that I don't think they should be like the standard. Like, I don't think that every character should have their mm-hmm. introduction via a special presentation. I don't think that you should have like need, need, need to watch them for anything or, or whatever, but mm. I don't know. I, I just, I think that like, I miss the one shots from, from back in the day. Right. And that, that's what this kind of feels right, like, like right. more creative one shots. I always thought that it was a missed opportunity that Marvel stopped doing those because you do have this expansive universe with like all of these storytelling opportunities and to have to limit that to be like, okay, well, what fits in the format of a TV show and what fits in the format of a movie? And if it doesn't fit in those two things, we just have to scrap it and get rid of it. 
Like, if that was the answer to everything, we never would have this holiday special. Or maybe Werewolf by Night ends up in a format that it doesn't quite fit in and people don't like it as much. And then maybe that gets char- that character gets thrown away, you know, without giving a fair shake. So, like, I definitely don't think they should be, like, we shouldn't be getting eight of them a year. But right. to have, like, one or two special presentations here or there where they're like, we have this character, we have this concept, and we can just fit it into this, like, 40-minute thing, and we can do and tell this story in a way that we've never tried to tell a story in the MCU before. Like, I think that's what they should be for. And if you just do that and you focus on that, you're going to get some really cool stuff out of it. And that's that's what I'm hoping for. I tend to agree with the both of you. I think, I think well... If you listen to the show, you know how we all feel about Werewolf by Night. And, <laughs> and of course, this one, which, again, like, I, ca- I can't say it enough. And it really kind of surprised me because I wasn't thinking about this at the outset. But as I'm watching, I'm like, man, I really miss these guys. It's really cool to see them again. And that's really where it hits home for me as we head to Volume 3. And whatever that's going to end up being should be interesting. We're... You know, we're, we're speeding to that, but we got to get to Quantum Mania first. That should be interesting. But to put a ribbon, a bow and ribbon on the last MCU project of 2022, um, I feel like I feel like the MCU will finish strong. Yep. This uh, towards the latter half of the year. I think uh, it was a lot of good stuff and we will definitely talk about phase four soon enough. But before we go, Hunter and I have been having some conversations offline about a couple of different topics in the MCU going forward. The main one being the hierarchy of power (laughs) in the government. You see my my play on words there. In the MCU, as we're noticing the stuff with Val, and she's now the director of the CIA, and so that part is interesting. So, like, where is that going? What's that going to mean? And then we get the news that Harrison Ford is being cast as as Ross. And then we get the rumor last week that Ross will become president. And it's like, wait a minute. Huh? He's going to be president and Red Hulk. And also, where does Val fit into all of this? Hunter, you had your own trepidation. So I kind of just want you to, as we, we build this out a little bit here, give me like your initial thoughts on what you're looking at when it comes to the government hierarchy and what that looks like, why you may have an issue with it, or in overall, how do you see it kind of fermenting as 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 Wakanda Forever showed, it seems like we are going in a specific direction with this. Right. My so I should preface this with like I'm very open to them doing things. I'm I'm not the kind of person who is going to go online and say they're doing it wrong and, and it's going to be terrible without having mm-hmm. seen it. I, I'm willing to give it a shot. Um, I, I will say in, in my conversations with, with AC, I've, I have voiced uh, trepidation was such a good word. I love, I love the usage of a good word uh, voiced my trepidations <laughs> that they're, I worry that there's too many cooks in the governmental kitchen uh, in, in that mm-hmm. branch of the MCU storytelling. Um, you know, since the begin, since almost the very, very beginning of the MCU, we've had we had William Hurt as General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross, um, and he went away for a while, and he came back, and it was cool to have him in Civil War, put him in that role. Um, you know, 
then they announced Thunderbolts. There are rumors of that for a long time that he might be part of that. Yada, yada, yada. He's in Black Widow. We know the story. Um, but then William Hurt passes away. And he was he was sick for a while before he passed away. So, like, people knew that he was in bad health. He was on the show Mythic Quest. Uh, he had a, actually a really nice episode uh, where they kind of talk about it almost. Um, but as that is happening around the same time, they then introduce Vale. And Vale seems to be playing, like, a very similar role that Ross has played throughout. I mean, obviously a different character, a different temperament, a different yeah. uh, way of going about things. But, like, strategically speaking, a very similar role to Ross. Um so it felt organic that with Ross kind of on the way out, you have Val coming in and then, you know, Val just kind of steps into Ross's shoes and takes over that role. Um, we are, it was already confirmed yeah. that she's playing or she's in the concept art for Thunderbolts. So we know she's going to be in it. Um, and it felt like, okay, right. well, if Ross isn't the one forming the Thunderbolts, then it's Val. And, and I just assume that, you know, everything going on, Val is going to be like the United States representative in whatever's happening. We've now seen Wakanda forever. There's hints of like, right. you know, the government wanting to get into it with Wakanda and, and all this fun stuff. Yeah. It just, it felt straightforward and I, I was okay with it. I, I was okay with it. Um, yeah. So I was so confused when they were like, not like William Hurt has passed. And not only are we not abandoning the character of Ross, we are bringing in like a more famous actor to play him for these movies, mm -hmm. which again, I'm not necessarily against It's just in the moment. It confused me because I was like, Oh, so you're, you're doubling down on this. So Ross must have, you must've had these plans for Ross that were so big and important in your storytelling that you didn't want to write around it. And you, and you went and got like one of the most famous actors who's ever lived for like one movie, two movies, how, you know, not a long time, but however long. Um, right. And I, I just worry that like there's there's just too much too much going on. Cause then it's like, okay, so then where where does Vel fit into that? And then where does Ross fit into it? And now, you know, watching Wakanda Forever, I said this to you. I feel like if I hadn't known that Ross was still around and that like Vel wasn't going to be playing the Ross role in the future, she would have felt more important to the story in Wakanda Forever. But because I now know that Ross isn't gone. Like, whatever Val was doing, like, I couldn't quite get a hold on just how important that really was, or, like, what she was doing in relation to whatever else. Like, if we are getting President Red Hulk, like, what does that mean? And, again, I'm sure there's several projects that are going to address this, I'm sure, and we'll get answers. Of course. It just, yes. I am afraid of it, of, of this plot line that already has a lot going on in Wakanda Forever alone being, like, too overstuffed with United States government villain characters like trying to pull off manipulative mm -hmm. manipulative plans so i i don't know that i just i worry about it a little bit but again i don't want to like trash talk it before uh -huh. i see it because who knows what they're gonna do and if that, yeah no no i think you i i, I do want to react to this but yes jake i, no, was I just want to say quick because i Go i ahead. you know this is above my pay grade in some ways with uh the theorizing but i think mm -hmm. i will say uh, way i think they could have very easily nip this in the bud and I understand why they couldn't just because of its cre the crazy production but the fact that Val is introduced not in relation to Ross is a huge deal like if we first met Val with like her in a meeting with Ross and we understood their relationship I think a lot of this would be going away but I'm going to toss it to you both because I'm done with my thought and because my empanadas have arrived so I'll be back <laughs>
<laughs> That's, That's a, there's great. no better reason to dip out than when your empanadas are ready to go. Oh no, absolutely. You gotta yeah, you gotta you gotta get them bad boys and finish them. But you you know what, Hunter? So as you raise this, and we've talked about it before, I think more so than anything else, when the Harrison Ford thing was announced and I said it on the on this show, I was like, huh, this seems a little odd. It, It just makes me wonder, like, what is the story? Yeah, and then yes, you mentioned the Val part. And Jake, this is where Jake came in and and he hits the he hits the point that makes the most sense. So Val is separate from Ross. And yes, that could be a situation where the there's too many, too many cooks in the kitchen. That could potentially right. be an issue. However, this element of the Red Hulk being involved. Also, this hanging plot line. So, if we're to assume that Ross is going to be president, we have another president in the MCU currently that we will see in Secret Invasion. So, if we put those things together and we kind of connect them, it's like, huh, if we have a president already, how is he going to not be the president by the time that Ross becomes president? I did think about that. And (laughs) and I was like, I don't know. Like, this almost feels like a spoiler, like, ahead of time, because it's like, I don't know how Dermot Mulroney survives Secret Invasion. You You know what I mean? Like, the minute you get Harrison Ford, but... I mean, also strategically, like they've they've already planted the seeds because uh-huh. Wakanda Forever very yes. very sneakily has uh, Richard Schiff in his guest starring role as unnamed Secretary of State, which was Ross's previous <laughs> position. So they've already planted the seed that Ross is no longer in at no longer Secretary of State. Which I mean, a lot of time has passed, so it makes sense. But it was mm-hmm. cool to get the like yes. on screen confirmation. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's still a bit to go before Captain America four happens. Um, I also, I don't know. Like it also threw me off. I I thought it was odd that listen, I love Harrison Ford and I love the MCU. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that I would love Harrison Ford being cast Mm. in the MCU, but for whatever reason, just giving him a role that was already somebody else's that he's only gonna I mean I get that I get that he's super old and like already hurt himself filming Indiana Jones and and almost crashes a plane every other week and all that fun stuff so it's like we should probably not sign him to like an eight-year deal um I don't know I don't know it just it felt it felt strange like I don't I don't know how much I can tell you exactly why it feels strange because I've been thinking about it for a while it's because so much of what we love about big prestigious actors joining the MCU is them having fun and being game and Harrison Ford is I love him to death he's not game at all that's kind of no he's not he's not game (laughs) and his energy is fine in a lot of franchise movies but his and I'm afraid if he completely is not into giving himself over to it you really you can't really be it's it's really hard to be the guy who feels like he's above it all in an MCU movie. Like it's even like like a Robert Downey Jr. who is like his character is like that. He himself is very into it. So I'm, yeah. that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, yeah. I I guess I feel that, that too. No, that might yeah. be part of it. Uh, all of this. So all of this is so. So I've now chosen to look at this based off of the way that it seems like this is going to be more intrigued than to have the trepidation. I kind of want to see how it plays yeah. out. Especially with Wakanda Forever. Okay, so the government clearly 
is looking for vibranium. And after we have the talk with Namor and Shuri, and we find out that vibranium's in other places, and makes you wonder, like, what else is out there? I mean, I don't know what could be out there, but there could be other things out there. So if it's going to be a government free-for-all, as as uh, Val has talked about not only going after Wakanda, but all of these other nations, France in this instance and Wakanda Forever, looking for vibranium and stuff like that, it kind of feels like the whole world is going to be after it. And, of course, it wouldn't be America if America's like, <laughs> hey, nah, we the superpower, we want to get it first. And to have the so-called president be really the impetus behind that and also to have the powers of the red hulk at his disposal i think creates a very interesting power dynamic for what could if he's gonna go up against sam wilson what does that mean for sam can't really go after the president in that way or will he what's that gonna look like i think i'm more intrigued and excited about this now than what i was before now getting a little bit of the crumbs. And also, I will add this element. One thing that we did not talk about as far as the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, holiday special that was a, like a little inter- interesting plot point that you kind of leave out. So they're exchanging gifts, right? And oh, right. <laughs> Rocket got, got Bucky's yeah. arm. So, f- first of all, <laughs> I, I wonder, Bucky just got a whole bunch of arms laying around? I guess he does. But... If if he gives up that arm, do we maybe think that Bucky might be in line to get a new one from somewhere? I I, I don't know. Like uh, maybe whether it's vibranium or I, something I else. I think it's an interesting it just, question. But I will say, yes. I if James got on Twitter mm. basically was like, I thought it was funny, so I wrote it in its canon now. You know, yeah. my farts, which I think is the appropriate response until someone else writes it. Like I actually yeah. don't really want to theorize on it because. James Gunn wasn't thinking that hard about it, so, like, why should we? <laughs> I do, I will say I love that, because I don't even think they're really going to address it that much in other projects, like, whatever, you know, James Gunn yeah. on Twitter being like, yeah, Nebula went and was feeling Christmassy, so she just beat the crap out of Bucky and stole his arm. Like, honestly, that that is good enough for me, I do think that's hilarious, and all of that, like, in Captain America 4, when Bucky shows up with a different arm, there is probably going to be, like, a one-off line where Sam mentions he has a new arm or something, and he's like, yeah, like, Nebula came down and, you know, beat the crap out of me and took mm-hmm. it, and then the audience laughs and then they move on. But, like, yeah, I I don't know. There's just, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, and that's part of, it's, there's fair. a lot going on. Yeah. And I, I will say that this is part of the joy for me, of the fact that the MCU has grown to a point where, like, and again, we've talked about this a million times, but, like, there's so many corners of this, like, fleshed-out, live-action comic book universe that you don't even know what direction certain stories are going to take or how, like, certain things are going to connect to other certain things. And I I feel like there's a lot of stuff that happened in Phase 4 that people are still complaining about, like, hasn't connected or felt like oh this came out and they're never gonna touch it again marvel wake up what are you doing and i'm like i don't i think that mm-hmm. marvel's proven it at this point and again not to like defend a giant corporation or anything but just not much about their track record says to me that they would release a project and then just forget it exists so i i just i mm-hmm. feel like stuff is gonna connect eventually and that's why yes. i'm hesitant to go 
full blown like keyboard warrior against like decisions that like make me <laughs> nervous about certain plot lines because I have no idea how they're going to connect it. Um, but I just I feel like I feel like certain things are gonna are gonna round out here in phases five and six, and I we just got to be patient and see how it plays out at this point. Yes, and I will hit this with a big fat to be continued <laughs> at a later date because I think it, it I think it's an interesting conversation. But yes, we have some we have some projects to come out, things to play out. But I'm excited. I'm excited. I think I think with the way that this closed out. I think there's a lot of things to look forward to and it will be a lot of fun to see how it all shakes out. But I want to thank Hunter Radici for joining us. Appreciate you for, for coming back. You you will be back with us for uh, something that we're planning. We don't know exactly when it will happen, but we are doing a phase four in review awards uh, pod. So we have some categories cooked up. Looking forward to assembling the panel whenever that happens. And Hunter will be a part of that panel. Hunter, thank you so much for joining us. Where can we follow you? Where can we find you? Okay, I'm going to say this work? really slowly because last time I was on here, I messed up my own last name. And that was really embarrassing. And I did hear about it from people. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going I'm to take this slow. And uh-huh. we're not going to screw up my last name. Okay. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you can find me on Twitter for however much longer it's around, on Instagram, on anything, you name it. I am HRADESI14. That is H-R-A-D-E-S-I, the number 14. Nailed it. Yeah, so just just look look for that um, and you'll find me. I post, I frequently post about all of the stuff that I'm writing, uh, video breakdowns that I do at Murphy's yep. Multiverse, reviews, uh, press screening reactions, all, all that fun stuff. I usually promote it. So if you follow me there, uh, you'll see it. Make sure you check out the mm-hmm. church of truth with Hunter and, and Mary Rowe, Mary Rowe, friend of the program. Uh, y'all do a wonderful job there. So make sure y'all check Hunter out and what he's doing. Appreciate you for joining us, sir. Jake Christie. At the Jake Christie you, on sir? Twitter, Jake T Christie on Instagram. Should that be necessary? Yes, yes. And of course, you can follow me on the Twitter at Anthony Canton underscore three. Follow the show on Twitter at MC University Pod. We're also on Instagram. If you want to follow me on Instagram, Poet AC 9586. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash MC University Pod, where you can get our bonus content. The Discord is always hopping, mm-hmm. always having fun conversations. And also, we are continuing our Fast and the Furious reviews soon uh we are in a new month so too fast too furious is on deck i also have good beef the show where i talk to fans of the show and uh our patrons about anything that they want to talk about uh the first episode is going to be recorded this week and we have a we have a bunch of good people to talk to down the line and of course continue to support the show Rate and review, five star, five star, five star, even if you don't got something nice to say, just to give it five stars anyway. And again, it's been a pleasure to continue this ride with everybody. And we will be back again next week for something. I don't know what, but we'll be back for something. So for Hunter Radisi and Jake Christie, I'm Anthony Canton III. This has been Marvel Cinematic University, and we will talk to you next time.